Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator, educator, and founder of Light Gray Art Lab, Lindsay Knoll. Beginning in 2012, without a fully formed idea or a business plan, Lindsay transformed a gross call center into an art gallery. Among other topics, Lindsay and I talk about the inner workings of Light Gray and how she and her team curate its exhibitions. We discuss the two paradoxical truths of submitting artwork to competitions, exhibitions, and clients, and Lindsay explains what artists need to do if they want to be product designers. I hope you enjoy our conversation. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. How about you? I'm good. Thanks for carving out some bit of time for this. I know you've got 17 or 18 hat, different hats that you wear on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I like time for actual people. Sometimes getting stuck in the files is like, I've had enough of that. So uh, real people take priority. Yeah, it's like doing research on you. It's like thinking about, okay, what, what am I going to talk to Lindsay about? Let's see here. And then it's like, well, I teach at uh, Minneapolis College of Art, Art and Design. And I you know, curate at Light Gray. And I do all these other things. And, and you have your pattern. You have your business that you, know, you do your surface design and all that. Your own illustration work. So I've broken it up into sort of thirds uh, for this conversation. And we'll get to it all. Should we start at COVID? Uh, we can start wherever you want. Whatever good are we going backwards or forward? Oh, we're going all kinds of different directions. We're like we're okay. we're like the the walk of Vader here. Uh, okay. So how's 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 light gray? How is it how is it faring COVID? Uh, that's a great question. Okay, so you know change in general is not a it's not a like a foreign friend to us at light gray. I mean things are constantly shifting, and although this was a really big one, it wasn't something that was uh, so devastating that we couldn't figure out what to do next. It just took a second because, again, we were trying to see which version of all of our many hats that we wear over there uh, ended up being the hat that we could wear right. for a while while we're waiting it out. So, so yeah, so it was weird and it was really stressful. I probably have a couple more gray hairs now than I did. I actually have two. Hey, let me tell you. So I've got these two really great white stripes on either side of my head. I know nice. you can't see them, but they're very nice. But I, I think they've filled in a little bit more over the last couple of months. I mean, d- really, d- dare I, I dare I drop in a dad joke here and ask you if they are light gray hair? <laughs> they, some of them are. So, yes, <laughs> I like that. I, eventually, someday, they'll all be. I'm looking yeah, I mean, forward to the, to the you're, time. You're, you're really dedicating yourself to, to, uh, to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's my plan. That's where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. So uh, to kind of answer the last bit of your question, um, so being a teacher at MCAD, was really interesting during this time period because again, I went online, all my students went online right. and it was like chaos over everywhere. Every mm-hmm. single student everywhere was like, mm-hmm. you know, so the majority of people that I teach are in um, kind of their upper years of uh, higher education. So there's juniors and seniors and many of the seniors were um, rightly so disappointed about what was about to happen with kind of the celebration, the culmination of everything that they were doing at school. And um, all of us kind of knew that there wasn't really going to be a celebration 
in the same way that most people would be able to enjoy it. So Jenny and I sat down at Light Gray and had this idea of creating a virtual senior show where we had empty gallery walls Mm -hmm. because, again, we couldn't gather together and um, cleared them all off, took some great photos, and created this idea that we could not only have a virtual uh, celebration of their thesis work, anybody, not just as school that I work at, but any school, anybody who's graduating, um, but introduce them to each other. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we said, well, why stop there and just have seniors looking at seniors work? Because part of the thing about, you know, your your celebration at your school is to showcase your work so that professionals can see it and the community can see it and anybody else can see it. So we reached out to people we've been working with. Um, we've been around since 2012. So there's a lot of people that have been through school and then beyond. Um, and we said, hey, do you remember what it was like to be in art school? Do you want to come back as a sponsor? And so our sponsorship, because we also knew it was very weird for everybody, we said, you can do anything you want. You can donate an hour of your time. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a sponsor, you can just share the work of somebody you think is deserving. You can do a financial scholarship uh, or you can you know, send a copy of something you think was really meaningful to you when you graduated to somebody. And so it was amazing because a ton of people came out of the woodwork and as sponsors chose to be a part of this experience that kind of helped the transition from all of those students having to deal with COVID and the effects of not being able to celebrate their work and, and brought everybody together to um, sort of create a bond between professionals and um, emerging artists, uh, you know, got those guys a little bit more exposure Mm -hmm. I guess on the internet and um, although it doesn't really replace the experience that they should be able to have at school, it did, I think a lot of things that we were hoping we would try to patch up for people, for people. So, so I do want to talk a little bit for folks who don't know about light gray art lab. You know, I, I I live about 10 minutes outside of a very quaint town straight out of central casting here in Pennsylvania, even though, you know, even through COVID there's, there's a thriving main street and it's, you know, lovingly designed shops and artisanal products and antique bookstores. And there's an art gallery. It's a nice space, but it's very typical of its kind. One large white box showing the work of one local artist at a time, like gray art lab. It is not, you no. you have game nights, mystically themed workshops, project collaborations like that skater die exhibit where you had people's artwork uh, printed on skateboards and so on. Uh, it's, you know, art like gray celebrates illustration, animation, gaming. You said that it was born out of solving two problems that virtually every listener of this podcast can relate to. And what you just touched on showcasing your work and connecting with the community. Yeah. So in 2012 or prior to that, what were your first steps in launching the gallery? Oh, you want to hear a hilarious story? Oh, of course. (laughs) Like all good things. And I don't think everybody's like this, but I think some of us have opportunity brain where, you know, something's shiny on the ground. You're like, wow, look at that. Oh, think about what it could do. Um, Uh Light Gray was one of those. I, before 2012, um, I was still teaching at MCAD. I was curating artwork at uh, local tea houses just for, as like a volunteer thing Mm -hmm. because I was a teacher and I thought it was great to get people's work in different places and because I you know was trying to be an advocate for all the students that I was teaching that 
you know, really were hungry for opportunities. I was like, hey, this is great. I'll just do this stuff. And I was also, uh, you know, and still am a product designer. So that's my, my background, background. So I was looking to teach more classes. And as anybody knows who's ever been an adjunct professor, you know, they've got budgets for the curriculum mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of wiggle room to teach other things. Although every single creative person is a genius and they have something special, whether it's process or experience or whatever to be able to share. Mm -hmm. I kept coming back to this idea that there must be some way to be able to teach more or to be able to partner with people more. And I never had, never had a fully formed idea or business plan or any of that stuff for a gallery ever. What actually happened was I was in a sixth floor uh, studio space where, you know, you had to have a key to get up there and it was kind of isolated from wherever. I had a great view, but it, you know, nobody would ever drop in and ever, you know, chat with you. I was like, I got to get out of here and find a place that's ground level because then maybe I could have some, you know, more classes or people could come in and be accessible and, yeah. you know, and all that stuff. So um, I moved my product design practice to a space that was actually kind of a gross space across the street from Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I was like, oh, this is so convenient. I'll just go teach after this, you know, mm -hmm. every day when I'm making work. And I walked in and it was like, it used to be a call center. and had like, you know, gross carpet and, you know, phone boxes all over the walls and stuff. It was uh -huh. disgusting. And, but it was cheap. And um, going in there, I was like, well, you know what? I could probably hang artwork in here and I could just do it with whoever and make things up and all that. Um, I moved into this space. I stuck my business in the basement because it was a two level. Um, it was like 1500 square foot. We opened in March of 2012 with a show that was pretty much all of the local people that I was already inviting into my classes as guest speakers, people that had graduated that used to be my students that were doing incredible things, mm -hmm. you know, um, and a bunch of visionaries. And we basically had one show of everybody's work and there was a big outpouring from the community because there was no illustration space at all, no illustration design space in Twin Cities. So everybody went, what's this? Right. So a lot of people reached out after that. And one of the people that was working with me at Paper Bicycle, which was my um, design, uh, product design business, was Alyssa Nastner, who's gone on to do amazing things. Um, she wanted to curate the Pokemon Battle Royale show, which invited all sorts of people to grab a Pokemon, draw it, put it up. And I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds That's good. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the shortest version is from there, we just started making weird stuff. It turned into a giant blob of let's make a video game. Let's make a tarot deck. Let's mm -hmm. decide that we're going to do, um, you know, jewelry one day. <laughs> like it became this, this random brain, like, you know, brainstorm of, of things that we thought, well, you don't have to have any experience to be able to do a good job doing something. And because people are up for a challenge, light gray became a space where people that had skills in one way or another could flex their skills and see them reinvented in a format that was assisted by all of my background mm -hmm. and also the people that I was working with at the background. So um, Chris Heine and Francesca Butchko and then again, Jenny Wells, um, we would glue everything together or help transform the thing. You know, we'd, we'd program the video games so people could see their characters be animated, mm -hmm. you know, or we would be up 
shellacking a bunch of skateboards at night so that people could see what it was like to have like a physical skateboard. So we weren't going and getting these things produced on wherever. Right. We were actually sitting in there at night making this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. hopefully that answers the question. And I, yeah, definitely. And I can uh, add to that from from the outside in. For So for about 20 years, I was an art director in publishing. And there were these other methods uh, by which we found illustrators outside of the norms. Like, you know, you can always go online and go on Twitter and, uh, you know, contact agents and look at postcards. Those are all kind of traditional methods. But this sort of these sort of like little secret weapon methods, I like to call them until, you know, the more I learn, the more I talk to other art directors and stuff, the more they're like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. I'm like, damn it. I thought that was my thing. <laughs> but like the, the these other ways, like visiting your website, visiting Light Gray's website, like what's Light Gray doing these days? Who who who's showing it at their at their gallery these days? And finding illustrators that way, you know, I, I did the same thing with yeah. um, Gallery Nucleus over in L.A. Ben yeah. Zhu, uh, yeah. Gallery 1988. There are a few who represent and support illustrators in the illustration community. So from the outside yeah. in, it was it was always a great resource for for art directors and i think probably still is that's great well it's awesome to hear that i feel like you know you can just tell that person deserves you know a platform obviously like right. somebody's got amazing artwork whatever and they're and they're in a place where you can actually see more of their work like yeah. they're more visible and yeah. that makes me feel really good you don't have to have a giant resume to be no. recognized you know what i mean yeah and it, and in some yeah. ways not to say that the work wasn't legitimate prior to exhibiting at light gray, but it does add a layer of le- of legitimacy. You know, it's like, oh, well, you represent, oh, you showed it light gray. You know, if you look at just visibility, yeah, yeah, like just, yeah, just somewhere it's in a place where more people can see. And right. I think sometimes that's just it. Like maybe your local, local, um, locally understood by, you know, everybody that's interacted with you or your school or, or whatever. But then again, like sometimes just being in other places, other eyeballs get to, yeah check you out and that's really nice you know so yep. yeah totally that's awesome to hear that mm-hmm. yeah the reason and, and i'm asking partially for selfish reasons because I, I think this cute town that i live near um could sustain an illustration gallery i really believe it it, it would, it would yeah. be and i would just jump at a chance of running a gallery that supported the illustration community, especially where I live, because there's the Brandywine Museum is nearby. It's it's there's a history of illustration here um, that I think the 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 folks around are, are illustration is an alien to them. You know, the folks who live around here, the Brandywine Museum well, and stuff. So maybe they need a little bit more in their lives. Then. Yeah, a little nudging. Um, but speaking of the community, how how has and how did the non art community respond? You know folks off the street for a while i think it was a huge novelty because we were doing exhibitions that were really interactive uh twin cities is funny um it's amazing amazing it's an amazing place there's tons of green space there's lots of like independent businesses and things like that um i think maybe it's just the people that i know but sometimes i feel culturally we all stay in our houses a little too much so i don't think there's a ton of like flying around to go see interesting things. But for a long while, we were putting kind of these shows together that we still do, but we don't do as much as I used to be able to do them. Mm-hmm. Where there was almost this like playful aspect where as a person who was not an artist, 
you could come to light gray and you could play with things and mm -hmm. you could make a thing that mimicked whatever was on the wall. So for example, here's a couple really silly ones. A long time ago, we had Station Zero, which was a sci-fi book cover redo. So I mailed everybody vintage books and I said, can you envision a new cover? And we'll show side by side like the new one and the old one. So people got to read the book. They got to have a book and it was really fun. So mm -hmm. the interactive part for people who had nothing to do with the project, they could come in and they'd make their own tinfoil hats. And it was so stupid, but it was the funniest thing. So we had this, we made this gigantic photo booth where we made this huge like um, space theme and all these cutout characters on sticks. I mean, we just used to do these like very silly things where again, the, the community was just like, oh, this is entertaining. So they'd come in and do that and yeah. whatever. Um, and when we did Cosmos, we made giant fiber optic light up um, planetarium with all of the cards that people made. So the Cosmos was 88 modern constellations put into tarot card form. So we, we did it based off the mythology and the metaphors of the night sky. So whether you're into tarot, it didn't matter. You could come in, we, we yeah. again, poked fiber optics through every single piece of work, lit them up, and would turn the lights off and tell you about, like, Ursa Minor, Ursa Major. And, you know, and it was so cool because we got to do these things that had nothing to do with just, like, only the artwork it was the art plus whatever the experience was and so minneapolis i think really enjoyed that and of course there's been a couple um things where people still do um they still do come in and they still do see uh, different things but i think some of the projects that we do these days are reliant on a very specific format and sometimes we neglect which uh, that's a terrible word but sometimes we neglect the uh local community in favor for the global community and right. we tend to do projects that again feed back into the creative realm more than they do for the random person that just floats into a public space right someone who doesn't doesn't even know that illustration is an art form and right so they walk by and they go what's that and yeah sort of question yeah question it. yeah i get that yeah you know w w as a curator when you curate a show, I'm assuming you have a bar that must be met by the entries or you, or you wouldn't exhibit them or do you just show everything that comes in from one of your prompts? No, we don't. Um, usually what happens is if we have an exhibition concept, a lot of times we know exactly how many pieces are possible. Sometimes that has to do with the budget of what we're able to actually pull off. Like right. If it's a video game, we can only do... 27 artists because we only have 27 levels of time to be able to poke mm -hmm. around in there. Um, other times we have a project that requires like a very round number and we're hoping to narrow down to that number. The majority of, of like the big process that we have for curation is everybody is welcome to submit. You just have to have some sort of internet presence where we can see your work. It doesn't matter if it's formal or informal. It could be your Instagram. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, but what we do is it's just like putting together an outfit or, or a recipe for lack of a better you know, analogy is that you, you have to make sure it all goes together well. So mm -hmm. we dig through every single thing. We get to view everybody's portfolios and it's sometimes it's based on who, who will make the project work together best as a team. So we'll look at different kinds of aesthetics and different kinds of ways people work. And mm -hmm. sometimes the prompts are really specific. Like we're looking for certain kinds of themes mm -hmm. represented and people are 
always really clever. They put the, the themes right front and center on their websites for us, which is really awesome. People do like a really good job. You just open their website and there it is. And you're like, yeah, yeah you got it. Uh-huh. But other times the projects are not so um, specific. So we really can look for unique, very uh, singular things too. And, and again, it really just depends on what project we're doing. However, um, I do really appreciate uh, clever work. And a lot of times I'll have a, a number of people that I think we can fit in a show mm-hmm. based on logistics, but I will try I have to convince myself to not go overboard because there will be people that I'm like, this is very cool. I don't think it fits this thing, but wow, this person has some really cool stuff. And there's a, you know, you always feel bad after you curate because there's too many good people. There's not enough. Right space or time the bar that you're talking about really is a weird moving bar that is really specific to the project and i i think that's just any design challenge is like you can be an amazing artist but not quite the right thing for a certain product or something right. like that yeah and and that's usually more that than it is um, anything else but no we we can't take everybody which is unfortunate but people do show back up and there's some projects that are a little bit more accessible than others which yeah. i think is good when when you're when you are looking at work other than you know hitting the mark, which is which is interesting, it's, it's like in the zeitgeist or something. I've been having conversations conversations with illustrators of late, and the the whole like, is this right for, and then fill in the blank, is this right yeah. for a you know a fictional client? Is this right for an actual client? Is this right for a portfolio? If you want to do X or Y, <clears throat> that's that's been going on a lot lately, and. Just actually yesterday during a critique group with illustrators, someone had mentioned that they'd done a piece that was great. It was really great. It was a yeah. great drawing and just so many smart decisions in, in storytelling, communication, emotion, all of that. And he was feeling bad about it because he thought it didn't hit the mark. And when we were discussing what that meant, it was it was about you know he had he had put, he had he had submitted it to a competition like people would send to you oh and then yeah, yeah. he didn't get anything he didn't get any response or he didn't get into the show and he felt it was like his fault or something like he didn't mm-hmm. it was his uh inability to to quote hit that mark to meet that bar and it's yeah i don't know kind of a toxic way of thinking i think it's all right to pat yourself on the back and you don't need anyone else patting you on the back no you don't here let me tell you something okay this is probably terrible for me to say but i have some serious opinions about things and i know this is probably controversial in some ways and you know how like all truths like you can have two truths that are paradoxical and they can live in the same universe and they can both be right you know what i'm saying yeah here's my thoughts um, I think it's always important that people remember that there is no company, no person that is ever going to cut a hole that is exactly U-shaped right. and give you an opportunity that is exactly the same as you. But I think the inspiring thing about that is that means that you can kind of look at awards or opportunities or job placement or whatever in this way. And this is, again, like a Oh, it makes me shake that I get so serious about this because being a teacher, you know, for 17 years, you 
you know that sometimes it's carving your own shape of you for the universe and it is not that somebody else is going to give you the perfect thing. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that awards, for example, and you could fill, you know, exchange the, the term awards with any other opportunity right. that it gives you. Yeah. Um, it's so filled with like loaded, uh, bullshit. Yeah. It's like, it's somebody, somebody telling you that you're good enough to do a thing. Now, well, I, I realized saying this as a curator, right? Like if I give somebody an opportunity to be in a show, I realize, yeah, no, I know that I'm also stuck in that, that thing where it's not like I determined whether or not somebody was good enough. It's not that, you know, like there's that level of like, there's a level of, uh, yes, it's great. A person gets an opportunity. It's great that a person gets recognized. Mm -hmm. I believe all those things to be true. All that should happen. People should be recognized and that should be happening. Right. We just said 10 minutes ago yeah. how great it is to do yeah. that. Yeah. It's great because success, and this is, you know, this is a long roundabout thing. So you'll have to follow me through my whole thought here to get <laughs> to the you. end. I'm with you. Okay. So success breeds more success. It is psychologically what happens. You give somebody an opportunity they feel a little bit better about themselves. They go further. They take more risks. Things mm -hmm. happen. That is how this works, right? Right. So the opposite happens when people do not get success and people tend to lose their stamina for continuing. Right. If, if you've watched enough people come directly out of school, for example, like I have, you can see just how important some of those first successes are in people's lives. That is, again, this is where the paradox happens. That's great. People should get success and that should help people feel more confident and some people are more resilient and some people aren't. However, I still feel like we have to look at success through the lens of who gave this to me, how important is it that I care about that person's opinion, right. is it something that makes or breaks me as a, as a creative person. And yeah. I always used to get mad, for example, at awards of certain types because, again, you would see all the entries and you'd only see a select few being chosen and you'd say, why those people, Right. And yeah. it's not because they weren't deserving of it, but you could look at the people who didn't get it and you're like, look at how amazing these things are, you know? So yeah. it was just, it's just one of those things where I do feel like curators, art directors, people who give opportunities in specifically in the uh, illustration universe are probably seeking something very specific for whatever hole mm -hmm. they're trying to fill. And it's not a, it's not evaluation of whether or not your skills are, are good good right. period. You know what I mean? I kind yeah. of talk to my students sometimes. How do you know when something's good? It's obviously subjective and it's obviously a design problem, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a million solutions for something. Anyway, because I get so frustrated talking about awards and opportunities and stuff like this, I guess I'm just trying to say, yeah, it sucks to not get a thing, but it does feel, it does feel like there should be maybe a little bit of like a tenacity that shows up after that so that oh, yeah. that person um, here, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I love when people get mad and then become a curator. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or become a person who provides opportunities. That's my favorite thing. And I guess that's where I was going with this big long thing is that if, if there are not enough opportunities to celebrate things you think should be celebrated, yeah. there's an amazing opportunity for you to, to make a scene or a book or a Clever project or a thing, because again, there's so many people that fit into that same sort of right. like. It's a lot like when you, you know, when you listen, 
to sports players after a game or like a manager of a baseball team, like the Minnesota twins, for example, Uh, you know, when they're going, when they have like a seven game winning streak, you'll hear someone say something to the effect of, well, we know we don't want to get too high. Yeah, we're doing well, but we don't want to get too, you know, basically too cocky. And when you have a seven game losing streak, they'll say something like, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to get too down, you know, try and stay even keel. So if you get into a show, wonderful congratulations that's wonderful it genuinely it's great if you don't get into a show it it's is. not the end of the world you no, know it's not any it any fault of your own it's not it, it's just Absolutely. i mean there's so many factors it's 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 we can't even cover them all in this conversation i, I will <laughs> i if you're already a little shaking from being upset i'm gonna piss you off even further Oh, man, I'm so mad. <laughs> Are you ready for this? So okay. I used right. to, I worked in children's books in my previous life. And yeah. we I would go to the Society of Illustrators every yeah. year for the original art show, which exhibited that year's, quote, best children's book illustration. Yeah. One year, I was there and I had the booklet and I was looking around and noticing a little bit of a pattern that uh, there were more than a dozen pieces from a specific imprint from a specific publisher and i was like well geez i mean good for them wow they they just killed it this year i guess so i'm looking through the booklet and one of the judges you know where i'm going with this was the publisher of that imprint is that a coincidence Sure, if I'm feeling optimistic. If I'm feeling like oh. I usually feel, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I just was like, ah, I, I as soon as I realized that, I'm looking around, I had like wine in one hand, my booklet in my other hand. And as soon as I realized, I was like, wait, whoa, wait, what? Okay, what? all right. So is anyone else seeing this? Of course they see it. And this is a thing. You only know what you know. If you only know a handful of illustrators, you're going to keep bringing them on. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you keep, if that's what's in your circle of awareness, you're just like, oh, or your sphere of awareness, right. you're like. Oh, yeah. I would go every year, stuff. every single year, and every single yeah. year it was like, oh, that I'm not going to name any names today. I don't. Uh, today's not a name name, oh. name day. Um, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, that person, of course that person's back. That person's there. Oh, there's oh. that person. Oh, there's that person. But that's okay. Okay, so. And this is the thing, you know, we always talk about this too. It's, I was just talking to, um, I was talking to somebody else where I think, uh, oh, geez, I, it's, you can't blame somebody for being ignorant of all the cool new people that are coming up. You have to remember, it's the same reason why people have the same hairstyle for the whole entire life. <laughs> it's at some point, you know what I mean? You yeah, well, no, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to rock it like a, a, a early 1980s Han Solo, but I, I, I still hey. haven't, haven't figured out how to do it yet. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm going to get That's there, though, okay. at some point. Mm-hmm. It's your thing. It's your thing. Yeah. So, like, you know, what I'm saying is, like, you have to remember there's so many things that that create the things that we see as, like, the successes. And, of course, yes, it's like the curator is doing their best. And I have to say that, and this is where the paradox is, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing it because they're trying to be turds or whatever. They probably just are unaware of how many cool new other people are out there doing stuff. And this is where we have the problem, I think, generally, where you see galleries or art directors or whatever chasing people with resumes. Resumes don't matter. 
They right. don't matter. If no. you're a creative genius, you should be recognized for your stuff. It doesn't matter how many times you've been published. I don't care. Sorry, I'm getting mad. But it's one of those things where it's, it's people should be able to be recognized for how great they are. And you shouldn't be looking at like, oh, we're in the New York Times or whatever. Like, that's nice. Good. But again, awards, and that's what I was saying before, or opportunities. Yes, I think psychologically, anybody who's in a position where they're providing some sort of opportunity to somebody else loves to make sure they're not going to be wrong, whatever that means. So as an art director, you're like, well, I need to I need to prove that this is going to be a good cover for whatever, or I need to make sure that this product sells because there's money behind it. But really, there are so many people, and again, these two two thoughts I'm trying to smash into one, that again, it's not their fault, or that it is their fault, but it's not it's not terrible that somebody's trying to just pick the whatever the in quotes best of the best is because they need reassurance that that person is a, a successful artist right. and will do well for their final output, but Again, remembering that, especially emerging artists, remembering that people only know what they know. And if they're so busy, for example, managing a certain project, chances are they're not able to go look on Twitter for new art. They're not looking at emerging artists from school. You know, yes, where you said, like, if you go and look at a gallery who has emerging artists, then you're going to see a lot more of those and you can give opportunities to people that have contemporary awesome stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to do that because you can cut out all that time. But I will tell you, as somebody who goes through like hundreds of portfolios for every single show, I mean, we look at every single one and we're flying around in your Instagram looking at all your stuff that you sent. Like it takes a long, long time Mm -hmm. to sit there and then to try and put people in categories where you can figure out how to mush it into a show, you know, or into a skateboard project or a video game or something like that. Like all of those things, it takes a long time. So yes, if an art director is under pressure, they're going to go to the list of people they know are going to perform. Right. And chances are they're not going to look outside that because it's hard. This stuff just boils my blood to no end. Um, and I, and, oh, yeah. it, it, and it, you can fold in uh, baked in biases as well, which right. need, obviously uh, now there are conversations being had about the fact that this all needs to be addressed and people can't just default to right. your typical stable of illustrators and, you know, whether you're fi- hiring for a New York Times piece or a book or, you know, hanging a show or whatever, yeah, like taking yeah. a minute and thinking like, hmm. I need to go beyond and I right. need to do this. And again, that's personal integrity. So every single person, again, that's providing opportunities has the ability to flex other muscles to make sure that they're doing more, whatever that means. I even think like not getting into a show not getting the job you want, getting rejections, getting thanks but no thanks, getting emails, thank you for your interest, but we've decided to choose another candidate. All of that. Uh, my view, and again, maybe I'm just being not trying to be naive, like overly naively optimistic about all this, but um, is that it's that's still positive movement. If you're getting rejections and you're getting those kinds of letters and uh, you know get a letter that you, you didn't get into a show or whatever, that's that's positive movement because if you weren't getting those things that to me suggests stagnation it means that you're not moving at all you're not submitting that's at all that's true and that's worse like here's here's the deal creative life doesn't have to be one thing it doesn't have to be a 9 to 5 job it doesn't have to be an entirely freelance thing you don't always have to be a product designer Someday, you can also be a teacher or a this or a that. You can wear 15 hats and be a person that flexes all of your creative muscles. I always talk to my students about this. Like, yeah, you've got art, 
let's just pretend this is majors, right? You got your art is your major. What's your minor? For some of us, it's social stuff, right? Or uh, it is community involvement, mm -hmm. or it's teaching, or it's selling things. You forget that that is a part of who you are. And so it's the combo of you being a very unique, specific person that allows you to have a creative life that is exclusive to you, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting thing to think again, like, yeah, opportunities help you figure out where you're, you, you got, um, like some of those skills are, are way buffed up. You're right. like, oh yeah, okay, I know I'm really good at these things. What are your other hidden talents that end up making your specific lifestyle so you? Mm -hmm. And that is when we, when we look at all of our illustration heroes, for example, you see people that are carving out specific niche lives that are so right on with who they are. And again, my life is kind of like that where I like teaching. So a lot of my projects that I work with with other people have some sort of let me teach you how to do it element in it. Mm -hmm. I love group stuff, group projects. Mostly everything I do has to do with that. I mean, if you look at my product design work, I'm working with a team to make products. My light gray work, I'm working with mm. a ton of artists to make a single thing. Like there's all these things where if you look at your life, you have essentially like a spring, like a spiral, right? Like you continue to repeat yourself over and over and over for the rest of your life, but you level up every time. And you're, every time you, you go up on this spring, I don't have a better thing, like, or like a screw, like a corkscrew, mm -hmm. every time you go up, you are making each revolution slightly cooler and better but as different as you think it might be, it's not. It's like based off all those amazing skills that you are getting better and better and better at. Right. So your tendencies are to try and identify those minors so that you can use those to kind of excel more in your majors. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in specific nuances. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. I, I mean, know I'm like you're singing my, No, no, okay. you're singing a tune. Uh, I like to say oh, that... Good. I like okay. to say that... Uh, Illustrators need to be as creative about their career possibilities as they are about the work they create. Yes. You are more than just the things you make. There you go. And you know, Correct. speaking of video games, it's a lot like, I mean, my favorite video games are all from the eighties, you know, Faxanadu and dragon warrior and super Mario and Zelda and stuff. And it's all about building experience points. The more you'd play it, the more stuff you get, the stronger you become, the easier it is to beat that boss, you know? Okay, so I'm playing Skyrim. I'm not even going to say I'm playing Skyrim. I'm experiencing <laughs> Skyrim again. Yeah. Where I'm just picking flowers now. You know? uh, I'm, exper like, I'm experiencing Breath of the Wild, and it's only me just walking around a field going like, what do I do next? Where am I? What's happening here? Right. Like It's, it's kind of like that where you're like, I'm in this world, I'm doing my thing, but today I'm focusing on picking all the herbs and flowers off the earth. Like, exactly. It's still me. I'm still here. I'm still doing stuff, but now I'm doing this slightly different kind of interesting facet of same, the same the same life the same yeah. world you yeah. know mm -hmm. so yeah um now you get it's funny you get to hear all my life philosophy here stuck in this conversation oh it's it's all you good know, being mad about words and yeah i did want to i did want to touch on um i did you, you mentioned product design a couple times and you know you are yeah. also an illustrator in addition to being a curator and uh, a teacher I, oh yeah I, i'm i'm positive that folks listening to this episode there is somebody who wants to get into pattern design, surface design, product design, and so yeah. many episodes of this of this podcast. I can't think of anyone who's that I've had who has that kind of experience, the kind of experience that you have. You, we mostly talk about editorial or children's book illustration. If we're talking about illustration, yeah. you on the other hand have a client list, and I'm just going to read the first half of the first line. 
Target, oh, yeah. Walmart, Joanne Fabrics, Kohl's, JCPenney, Babies R Us, Starbucks, Tazo T, Barnes & Noble, William Sonoma. So how does anyone who wants to Cracker Barrel, Staples, Office Max, I can keep going. Um, how do you get Target to call you and say, hey, do you want to do something? Truly, I think what people need to do is get familiar with doing market research. Um, and without going into a giant lecture, which I'd love to do, and we can do anytime if you ever want to talk about that, um, is most of us, I think, are stuck in our own personal aesthetics. And I think specifically for editorial illustration, just illustration in general, I think we have to uh, get stronger at understanding that, yes, there are people like us that like the same aesthetics and the same colors and the same subjects and the same shows and the same whatever. However, to be a successful surface and product person, we also have to be aware of, and this is going to sound crazy, but this is true. You have to become a seer of the future for those people and other people. You have to understand what's happening in the now through market research by looking at everything that exists. You can't just look at the two stores that you like and be like, like that. You can't do that. So being a detective helps you see what's happening today in the world of whatever product you like. Pick a product, right? Then you have to also, oh, this is complex. Then as you see those patterns, you have to keep on it. You have to keep watching. Inherently, most creative people are intuitively good at seeing when something looks old or new, but that is not good enough in product design. When people invest in your concepts for surface or product, they are investing in about a year, like uh, they're investing in next year's product. So they are putting down hundreds of thousands of dollars in your idea and they have to know it has to be right. So when you show up with concepts or artwork, mm -hmm. you have to prove by your market research that you can see this moving forward in the future. And this is two ways you can do that. One is by proving that you have seen today and the marketplace of today, and you can see all of the most inherent patterns of what people are doing, what colors are being used, what icons are being used. And then this is the part that I think takes people a sec to, to get under their belt. Then your psychic skills show up and you have to predict where it's going. Okay. That is the real thing that you're really trying to do. You can't just make stuff you think is cool today because, again, they're buying it for next year. So, so okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, no, no. What, what were you going to say? Well, I'm, I'm just I'm pretend I'm pretending to be somebody who wants to do this. Yeah. Uh, I have a website. I have a few illustrations on my website and it's, you know, some storytelling stuff, some narrative work, some editorial stuff, some pattern stuff, some product stuff. Okay. And so I'm going to just keep, I'm going to do, I'm going to follow your directions and, uh, which I think makes sense to me anyway. Um, and just kind of basically keep your finger on the pulse of what the heck's going on and anticipate where it's going to go. In that industry, it has to be industry specific. So you can't be like, I want to do all kids stuff. You have to be kids bedroom, kids pajamas, right? kids dinnerware. You have to be very, very specific because it all is different, you know? Okay. So say, uh, I, say yeah. I've done that. Yeah. And um, I listen to this episode. I go, okay, I got this. Take my, Give myself a couple months, figure th some things out, put together some packages and whatnot, or, you know, do some designs and update and curate and, and uh, give my self some time to build up my portfolio then what who do i contact how do i get myself out there in that market 
because it's something that I don't know much about. I don't know enough about that. What am I trying to say? I know more about how to do that with children's books and with editorial than I would trying to figure out how to contact Target. Coroflot, C-O-R-O-F-L-O-T, is a design jobs board. For everybody that is listening, all you got to do is keep a list um, of things that are of interest. You, you need to not just apply for opportunities, like I was saying before, there's no hole in the universe that's going to be perfect, but you need to start looking at the language that people are asking for. Product design is not the same as editorial illustration. You need two completely separate portfolios. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. Somebody in product design is going to be confused and not going to want to see your, your editorial because there's never an application where you are going to be using that kind of artwork on mm-hmm. product. Products is decorative, um, and it can be clever, and it can be really interesting. But most of the times, it's much more about color, and it's a, it's like a hybrid of graphic design and illustration had a baby. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to kind of see the art fitting the product, not only in format, but also in the ability to get it produced, such as, and I'm sorry to go into this, but this is why this is so complex. If you can only print with six colors on kids bedding because it's too expensive to print with 24 colors your artwork in your portfolio needs to reflect a norm that makes sense for that product so technically you have to take a look at what is the average of what people are doing there so you can kind of see the technical parts of how to put together new artwork right the only thing you have to recognize is that every time you go to the store you also in addition to these job search sites, which are kind of helpful, kind of just to see who's posting jobs and what salaries are like and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you also need to pick up products and see who the manufacturer is. So when I teach product design at MCAD, I talk about the difference between the retailer, which is the store that we all know. So mm-hmm. if you go to the mall and you see the name of the store, that's the retailer. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Manufacturers make up probably about 80%, 90% of who's actually building product and manufacturing product, obviously. But manufacturers have an art department. There's stationary companies that have art directors. They may not be named Target or Barnes & Noble or whatever, like what's on my list of people. I only have those ones on there because people know who they are. But the majority of work that I do are for manufacturers that nobody has any clue Mm -hmm. what the name of that manufacturer is. And the only way to find out is to take a product that you like, turn it over, and see who made it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you'll see brand names, and that'll give you a clue. You can also just type into the internet um, product design trade shows. And just fly around in the internet getting all the names of the trade shows. Then pick one that sounds good, like, you know, the stationary, uh, you know, national stationary show. Go there and then read their exhibitor list. Yes. I think listeners of this podcast know enough to know that you you can if you're going to do two different things like editorial and product design, then you just have two different pages on your website that are very clearly <laughs> separate and not a jumble. I mean, we've talked about That's that great. with other episodes and stuff with art directors and whatnot. I can I can almost hear the listeners asking this question. All right, I, let's say I do all that. I get all the exhibitors, and uh, holy cow, there's a lot of them. And then I, what, Google them to find out who the art director is? Do I go on to LinkedIn to find out who the art director is? Are there any databases? Because here's the thing. It, with children's books and with editorial and with uh, literally anybody, 
finding finding these curating and building these mailing lists of potential clients is a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah, you can pay several hundred into the thousands of dollars for these kinds of lists. I don't even is there a, is there a place to go for a, a a curated list of some kind with their emails? There isn't, right? Uh, no, no. Nope. Yeah. Um, and every and people move around a lot. I I don't think it really matters if you actually know exactly who it is. I mean, it's not it's not going to be hard for somebody to figure out who a creative director and art director is. Right. Um, all they got to do is just be brave enough to make a phone call. And I think that's fine yep. to be like, Hey, or an email to the customer service person. It doesn't matter. Hey, I'm trying to get something in the art director. Can you please give me their email? And most people will be like, yeah, sure. No one's going to hide it from you. Right. Um, it's good. It just takes a little sleuthing. I mean, then that's an old school. That's an old school way of going about it. Just yeah, calling them yeah. and saying, who's your art director? Trying just to just send him something or send her something. Yeah. I mean, you do that. For sure. Yeah. Also, yeah. I will um, say uh, I would get postcards constantly. I know postcards yeah. aren't a thing right now with COVID and everything, but, and it would just say art director on it. It would say art director yeah. and then the imprint I was working with and then my address. And the mailroom saw that and went, oh, they knew who, they knew who uh, the person was talking about. Yeah. So if you don't I know, you can go that route as well when, when, and if, if and when. Um, yep. wow. That's another quick, I, I keep saying this usually at the, at the end of these conversations, they're so fast. Um, so quick, uh, the hour, I just but... went off on like a couple things. Sorry about my, sorry and not sorry about my, my rants, but I, you know, I get really passionate about some stuff. And I'm like, ah, that's, how it is. Kidding. that's, uh, that's what we do here at the illustration department podcast. Tell like it is, um, before we end here, you, spell gray with an e i do i've learned that in america it's gray with an a is an a for america and an e for england isn't that i mean that's how i learned it when i was a kid (laughs) i think that's true i think that is true so are you trying to figure out why yeah or did you just misspell your own gallery no, it's my favorite version of gray. It is my favorite version of gray. And I, I'm sure you'll see in some of my, and I don't know if you take a look at my Instagram for no reason or whatever, but wow. I mean, if I could show you my office, you would also see in my office. And it, it makes it seem like I've, like I've planned this more than I really have. But I really, really, I just like it better. But in my office, strangely enough, coincidentally, I think I have a bunch of old vintage uh lithographs of castles from England too, which is very funny. And a bunch of other Englandy objects in here. Not not related other than yes, they are related by England uh, mm-hmm. times. But I don't know. I don't know. That was my favorite E. Okay. My favorite or my favorite gray. It was also my favorite E, but it's my favorite gray out of the two grays. I don't like gray with an A. I don't know why I care. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, I looked at it a couple of times. Like, yeah, I like the E version. Yeah, that's a funny question. Okay, I like, I like that. I was thought, I was lo- I thought that was. I mean, that's when I was a kid. That's how we learned it. But um, and then once I discovered uh, Light Gray Art Lab back in whatever you know, 2013 or whatever it was, for me anyway. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was strange, and I I always wanted to know, and now I do. So there you go. 
I want to just be mindful of the time here and not take up too much of yours. You, you had said that art is the experience of working through a process. It's not necessarily about the end product. It is the culmination of time, energy, emotions, and intention, which is a great piece of advice. What would be another piece of advice for folks listening in? I think that life as a creative person is ever evolving. It is not your title that defines you. It's not the amount of stuff on your resume. It is, my dad always says this, he's full of all these like great dad one-liners, but um, he says, happiness is indulging your interests. And if there's one one-liner that I will leave with everybody, it, that is truly it. You spend so much of your life doing things that you have to just make sure to do the gut check of, is it making you and I'm going to say happy in a couple of different ways. You don't have to be like joyful and be like, woohoo. But did you learn a thing? Did you feel like you're uh, making progress? Was it something that you feel like you accomplished? All that stuff fits under the happiness category for me. I think indulging your interests means that you're at least like slightly moving towards some stuff that continue to continues to sort of um, get you closer to your ideal. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get there right away. And like you said, it's a journey. But I do think that happiness in is indulging your interests is a great way to kind of think of the gigantic journey of being able to flex where you want to. You can leave things when you want to. You don't have to continue to do the same thing you did five years ago. It's not like that. Nobody's going to hold you to stuff. And I think being, you know, being able to do the gut checks every now and again, like where should I be next is really, really great because it allows you to, again, flex all those minors and all those different muscles that you know that you are as a multifaceted creative individual so that is my advice is make sure to make room for the growth that you know is tapping on your shoulder, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, what about me? And you're like, Oh yeah, you let's do this. You know, like let's leave a little bit of a window on a Sunday afternoon to explore this crazy thing I'd like to do. I think that's really important. Um, so that's my, that's my piece of advice. To learn more about Lindsay and Light Gray Art Lab, visit lightgrayartlab.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.